gentlemen, please welcome to Wild and Crazy Guys. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Hogan for the win. We're going to consistently put players in position to succeed. The most important piece is we're going to take the North and never give it back. From CHGO, it's Adam Hogan. I don't think that this is a, bit, a full rebuild, but you definitely have to retool your roster. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. Hey, what's up, Flues? And we're going to have measurable ways for standards of performance every single rep, every single game. Anyway, uh, who cares? Now, here they are, the Adams, Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in Hogue and Johns with you in week one. About we time. Made it. We made it. It comes so fast. Oh, don't use that one. That's what she <laughs> said. <laughs> it does. I say it every year. Training camp flies by. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it flies by, but we made it. It is game week. Um, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. Thank you to everybody who listened, reacted to our interview with Ryan Poles last week. I know there's a minor audio issue people are kind of battling through that I still have no idea what caused that, so we apologize for that. Um, you know, it was a fun conversation. I thought I I really enjoyed sitting down with, with Poles, and I thought he expanded on some things. Yeah, there's that, a lot there. Yeah. I, I was going to say, if you haven't listened to it yet or certain things you want to hear again, it's on YouTube. You can still get it anywhere you get your podcast. Check it out again. There's a lot to digest. I really like what he said about Justin Fields, the offensive line, Tevin Jenkins. That conversation is really, really good. So if you haven't heard it yet, saw it yet, seen it yet on YouTube, check it out. Yep. Again, you can always catch these on YouTube. Uh, find our, our Hogan John's YouTube channel. But uh, we know a lot of you still listen the old school way, the podcast way, which is what this is after all. We got another special pod for you today. Um, a few weeks ago, we did one of these on Soldier Field. Soldier Field. I have Field. I have Soldier Field in my mind right now. We did Just it on Justin Fields. Because they're resodding it. Yes, yes. It was on Justin Fields. You saw the picture of the Bermuda grass being put in and... Now you're infatuated with Soldier Field having good playing service, which they still will not. <laughs> well, they probably won't. No, yeah, I know. But there's, I, I did a little research on this because when you, when you hear they're putting Bermuda grass, Bermuda grass into the Midwest, you're like, wait a minute. But apparently there's this new kind called Tahoma 31 that's been used um, a couple other stadiums around the country, and it's supposed to hold up better in the winter, and we'll see. Anyway, um, maybe Chicago's a- water bill is about to go way up as they water the hell out of that grass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So still paying, taxpayers still paying for Soldier Field, as always. Um, we'll probably sh- shelve that more towards the end of the week. Again, Thursday will be our official preview episode. For the week one game against the 49ers, we'll break all that down for you. What I was trying to say is that a couple weeks ago, we did a uh, a special episode where Johnsy, well, I'm going to call it a Johnsy special. I like broke, that. Yeah, he he talked to a bunch of uh, of the athletic folks on Justin and got, his, got their opinions on him, and we broke it all down. This is another one of those episodes today, but it's more about this national narrative that we've been discussing at various points of the offseason. It's 
it continues on. It seems like if you live outside of Chicago, most people think the Bears are going to be one of the worst teams in football this year, which for various reasons we've poked holes in that idea because, you know, just for one, if the quarterback's good, it's going to be hard to be the worst team in football. But, um, like, they're bad, but they're still not the Jets. Right. I'm not even sure that they're worse than the Lions still. Ooh. So, I'm going to have to make some predictions on Thursday's episode as well. But uh, anyway, welcome in. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns. Make sure you go check out the Ryan Poles interview. Make sure you check out the Justin Fields, because it's it's evergreen from a few weeks ago. You can scroll back, find it, find it on YouTube. But here's another one today. John Z again, a John Z special. Went to work. He tracked down Mike Sando. He tracked down Jeff Howe. He tracked down Dan Pompey, uh, who, of course, has been on this podcast a, a bunch. But three national writers for The Athletic, one who has more of the local feel, Dan Pompey, legendary Bears writer, just broke the Ted Phillips story last week, um, to kind of get the perspective on what really is the national view on the Chicago Bears. Is it really this negativity you hear from the talking heads on ESPN all the time and all these hot takes, or is there a little bit more to it? A little more nuance. Yeah. And uh, these three guys are really the, probably more of the voices you want to pay attention to. So let's kick it off with Mike Sando. All right, let's bring in our good friend Mike Sando. He's one of our national NFL writers for The Athletic. Be sure to follow him at SandoNFL.com. He is the guy behind the QB tiers. We will get to that quickly. Mike, thank you as always for coming in. Um, let's start with this. You were at the first day of Bears training camp. If I would have told you that that team that you saw that day would end up going 3-0 and in the preseason, what would you tell me? Well, on the first day, I would say I don't care about the preseason or whatever, you know. Um, but the team that I saw that day, how do you even see the team at practice? You're standing in a bleachers <laughs> 100 yards away, and the whole team's in your way watching practice. So I didn't really see practice, but that's okay for me because I'm not – when I go into these teams, I'm not um, doing five observations about how the DBs look, you know. Uh, I'm trying to have longer-term conversations. Sometimes not even – sometimes it could be with people that work for the Bears, not even about the Bears, right? I'm, I'm thinking about – uh, other projects that I'm working on, that sort of thing. So I don't read, I don't overly read too much into uh, camp. I don't do camp postcards, um, those types of things. Uh, but, you know, being around the absolutely optimistic and joyful media throng there, um, <laughs> I mean, how could you not be just lifted up? Oh, absolutely. It was a hot day too, I believe, right? Oh yeah, it was a hot day. Yeah, it was a hot day, but that's that's most of the camps, especially when you're in the Midwest or in the East Coast, you're going to get hot weather and and uh, that was fine. So I wish I could tell you, oh, unbelievable. I mean, they did this or that. But, um, you know, I thought my, my perspective of the things that I could see, I thought the head coach, Matt Eberflus, did a better than expected job in his handling of the media afterwards, which isn't a huge thing. But, like, you know, you're coming off Matt Nagy, so I think you would like to see that done um, better and it was day one so I don't know if you've been there a bunch of times after that how do you do after that <laughs> I don't know if he's winning any press conferences but that's okay we've had a few coaches who have won press conferences and just didn't win a lot of football games yeah so. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so, the most important you know, thing. I didn't come away from the Bears with a strong 
you know, one day doesn't, can't possibly change, um, you know, it shouldn't change what we generally think, right? How about a 3-0 and preseason? I, I, like, I, you don't want to make too much of it. Like, like you almost said, they're off the top, but this was a team with a lot of holes and a lot of places, a very young team, new coach, new GM, new assistant GM. What do you make of it? I like it. I would much rather be the Ravens who've won 22 in a row, and you can ch- snicker and all of this, but... I do think the little thing, little positivities matter. I do. I think. I think when you've been kind of conditioned to expect disaster, you know, when the optimism has kind of been wrung out of you, when cynicism is sort of the default mindset, and it's all earned, you know, I think it's. I'd rather be three and zero than zero and three. I would rather look like, hey, we sort of know what we're doing, or better than expected, right? I'm totally. I I think there is value in that. I'd much rather have that than. Um, than everyone saying the sky's falling. And especially in this day and age, I just feel like, shoot, the players are, you know, not vulnerable, but I mean, they're living in the world of perceptions too, right? Yeah. It, it's how, how can it not, and they're young and they're new and they're trying to figure out their unproven, largely um, staff and that sort of thing. So I'll totally take three, and zero, and I'm not even going to stand here and say, that it's meaningless. Like, you know what I mean? I, I just don't think there's any reason to be, there, there's been plenty of re- actual real reasons to be negative. I just don't think there's any reason to be cynical or right. Don't we, can't we reset, restart a little bit and say, Hey, look, you know what? They've probably looked better in preseason than we thought they were going to. Right. Yeah. That So yeah. that's fine. Uh, I don't think it's totally meaningless. We covered a team just a few years ago that thought the preseason was Completely meaningless. Let's not forget that Matt Nagy decided not to play like his starters, like at all in the preseason. That was just a couple of years ago, following their their 2018 season. So that's 2019. And to me, I, I'm curious for your thoughts on this. That felt like such a culture shift where we went from a coaching staff that, or at least a head coach who had n- saw no value in the preseason, to Matt Eberflus, who's a little bit more old school where he thought the game reps mattered, where he thought Tevin Jenkins needed the right guard snaps, where he thought David Montgomery needed a bunch of carries in the final preseason game. What do you think of that? I'm fine with it. Well, look, they have a first-time head coach. They have a first-time GM. They have a first-time OC. And their their DC was was a DC in 2012 and 13 for Minnesota. Okay? Everybody needs reps here. Justin Fields has more experience as a starting quarterback than the head coach, GM, and coordinator have in their current roles. So I'm fi- I believe there's value in it. Absolutely. I mean, these guys are on the headsets together for the first time. Um, they're, you know, Justin Fields is getting the calls in for the first time. We saw in some of these other places where there's more veteran uh, quarterbacks or whatever that Russell Wilson was on the headset or what, right? I, I think all of those reps are, are really valuable for them. It doesn't mean the fact that they went 3-0 means they're, you know, they're going to have a great year or a bad year or anything like that. But I, I do think for a new regime with young people, they better be getting something out of the preseason. Yeah. Luke Getzi needs to call plays. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I think it. for them, five more preseason games, you know, wouldn't hurt them. <laughs> you wouldn't want to get your players hurt, but I think there's value they for need the Bears practice. in a new regime. Um, so one of the reasons we wanted to bring you in, Mike, is I don't know if you know this, but Bears fans hate the national media. <laughs> well, what do the Bear fans like? I mean, I'm fine with that. I'll go ahead. They barely like me. I don't. Even, I'm not even sure they like me. They just nobody from likes the stuff. somebody who's an outsider coming in and telling them about their team that much. You know, that's that's all. 
So tell us about this team. Like, as you look from afar, from the West Coast, who do you see the Chicago Bears as so the this Chica- season? Let, let's just start objectively that the, the the Vegas win total is the third worst in the NFC. Six and a half. Yeah, and in the uh, if you were to poll, if I, instead of quarterback tiers, I did Bears tiers, and we were going to talk to 50 people in the league, you're not going to get a bunch of people picking them for to to be way better than that, right? Which is yeah. fine. Yeah. But I'm not. I think I think we're very early in a build here, and the positive things they show us are are will be great when they happen. But but how do you? How could you come in right now and be like, "Wow, um, they're going to be amazing," right? I mean, right. Let's just watch them and see how they do without. They did nothing this off season that ramped up the expectations, right? No, right. No. I mean, clearly what they're doing is, and it was, the Giants were a little bit like this too. They're just resetting a little bit. They didn't just totally unload everybody, but you know the the. To me, I'm just watching them with an open mind, not saying they're going to be terrible, but I'm not expecting them to be good. So let's just see what they do. I'm not carrying all the baggage of the past seasons, right, or anything like that. Yeah, no, that's for guys like me who's, who've covered this team since 2012. Yeah, <laughs> 2012. Yeah. So, like, really, I think, you know, what is a realistic expectation, right? I just want to see the quarterback get better, more comfortable, and I want to see the I want to see competence from them. What and do you make of preseason? We've kind of seen that a little bit. Yes, I mean, they, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I've used the word competent and functional to describe the at least the the approach that Matt Eberflus, at least what he's produced already, even with his training camp practice, seeming to have a little bit more organization than some of uh, the guys he's re- replaced. Um, what do you think of like rebuilds in general? Like overhauls uh, of rosters because this 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 roster, you looked at it day one. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you didn't recognize a, a good percentage of the names. Every day it seems like it's changing yeah. on me. Well, the three biggest deals for Bears players in free agency were for Allen Robinson leaving, James Daniels leaving, and Akeem Hicks leaving. Right. So, yeah. um, I think their biggest APY average per year addition was for Justin Jones, maybe. Yes. Um, yes. I think the second biggest might have been for Byron Pringle. He was up there. El Quadi Muhammad got a good deal. And that's fine. Like I would rave it. I'd I'd rather do that than hey, uh Bears fans, we're close and we're gonna mortgage a little bit here and we're bringing in a couple of these free agents and then those guys just don't do well. Now, I I don't know that you love the feeling of some of those guys leaving, but uh like I think we understand there's a long term horizon here. Um, the question really is, I do feel like, you you know, usually with quarterbacks, and that's veteran quarterbacks, any quarterback. I mean, I think there is a baseline level of uh, weaponry that you need to function. And I think for a lot of this offseason, we've wondered if the Bears, how much they were above that line, right? Because, I mean, even good quarterbacks, even Tom Brady in his last year in New England, it looked like a grind, didn't it? So I think that's the concern that everybody has had. Um the timing of rebuilds is hard on certain people that were already there. Right. Yeah. And I think that's been the big concern, but I mean, maybe, maybe the feeling was that it was, 
that it was so bad before that it's that it's still better anyway, right? Just through the design, the vibe, the scheme, whatever. Um, I'm certainly you get that impression from watching Justin Fields during preseason. You're not like, oh my gosh, this poor guy is never going to complete a pass, right? So you know maybe they can ride their way out of it. Maybe he's strong enough to do that. But you just don't, like you said, you don't look at it on paper and um be. And think they're very far along. So let's talk about Justin Fields a little bit here, Mike. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. He's the first quarterback of Tier 4. Is your compi- compiling that list, and you got all these young quarterbacks maybe at the end. Like, what, what are your impressions of that group of guys? And from what you heard from folks around the league, like, what? how, how does that change your opinion of, of Justin Fields and expectations? Well... So I thought of some of those young guys, and you know, you put Trevor Lawrence in there. I thought overall there was a lack of just a, a little bit of a lack of high-end enthusiasm, and that includes for Trevor Lawrence. Like people were not there's there weren't people like predicting tier one for that group of younger guys, including Trevor Lawrence, which kind of like surprised me a little bit just off of what we thought going into the draft. But at the same time, this was not a group where there's, especially if we focus on those two guys, um, people were not are not really down on him either. You know what I mean? There's there's no one who like really doesn't like Justin Fields or, or actively dislikes him, right? I think there's some, been some prospects over the years where they're like, geez, Sam Darnold, I just don't see it, right? Well, Mr. Trubisky was one of those guys, right? Trubisky, I, I don't see it. The guy just doesn't process the game or whatever, you know, the things they would say about Trubisky. There was an active dislike. I didn't get any of that for Justin Fields. Um, I think most people like him, think he's going to uh, improve. They like, like, the key components of his uh, makeup. I mean, multiple people mentioned his smarts, that, like, he has a really good ability to uh, retain information Obviously, you know, a tough guy. He showed that. Um, maybe plays his best in the bigger spots. I think that was the thing that came up a little bit. But then maybe just not the most natural, instinctive player, thrower, those sorts of things. So that's what people kind of want to see maybe on the optimistic side. Hey, does Luke Getze come in and, and help with that? Does just yeah. some experience. I just get the feeling like he needs experience, right? For some of those things, for some of him to grow, he just has to play. Um and so the top of tier four is kind of probably more we we haven't seen enough to elevate you out of that, but we're not killing you either, right? Like if they were killing him, he'd be at the bottom of tier four. So, but but if they really loved him, he would be already up in tier three. And a couple guys who did that, like maybe like uh, Dak Prescott or Baker Mayfield. Uh, it seemed like there was one other one at one point. Um, I'm just kind of scrolling through here. Kyler Murray. Those guys, so to get in quarterback tiers, you have to have already played a year. Those guys, after playing one year, were higher than where Fields is. They were kind of higher in tier three, you know, maybe threatening the bottom of two. And that didn't happen for Fields. He got 13 votes in tier three and 37 in tier four, so... I don't know what that means, but it could say as much about the Bears, you know. How, yeah, I was about to ask that. How much is that just the these personnel guys just kind of caught in while well, Matt Nagy's out, 
we don't know what we're getting from Luke Getze. Matt Eberflus is in charge now, defensive-minded guy. And then who does he have at receiver? Like, are, are there kind of – Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. But, but I think also you go off of last year, and for reasons that may not even be mostly related to fields, I don't think you saw enough um, for people from afar to be like, oh, yeah, you know, we definitely saw it when we played them. You know, you know what I mean? You didn't get – you didn't get some of those overwhelming ringing endorsements um, yeah. that you might have got on a couple of those other guys, um, but I don't think that's a, you know I don't think it's definitive. I mean, I think it'll be very interesting to see where he's at after this year. Yeah, because I think you know I have to look at this, but I don't. I think when guys have been playing for two or three years and are still you know. In tier four or something, you don't generally see him come rocketing out. That, that's just what they are. A little bit, yeah. So I, I think he's fine where he's at. The the top guy in tier four is just, you know, maybe he'll do it this year. And, and but but you know, we didn't have people saying, "I see tier one," you know, and that was for Trevor Lawrence too. How much of it is? Well, I, I like let's go back to the national perspective on thing. At least at least one more time here. Like this is where I'm sure. Like our YouTube comments are filling up right now. Like, did you not just see what he did in the preseason? You know, Luke Getze is a fit. You know, he's doing this without, you know, he's got Darnell Mooney. Um, so, like, when he's behind, I'm going to go through some of these names. Like, uh, well, Baker Mayfield, new team. He's at 19. You got Jalen Hurts at 20. You got Carson Wentz, new team, at 20. Uh, Tied for 20. Two guys he's are descending, tied for 20. though. Yeah, he's yeah descending. descending. Yes. Jared Goff at 22. Here's the aforementioned Trevor Lawrence at 23. Um, Jameis Winston uh, with the Saints. He's now the Saints starting quarterback at 24. And then you go to tier four at number 25. Justin I'd Fields. put Fields over a bunch of those guys. Yes. Okay. I, I think a lot of people in the league would too. So that's a little bit of a product of the fact that tier four is for two things. It's for people we don't like, which isn't the case with Justin Fields, and it's for people we haven't seen enough to put him anywhere else. So yeah. Patrick Mahomes, after one start, de- debuted in Tier 4. People were like, hey, I love this guy, but, I mean, what, what do we do? He hasn't played that much. So that is a little bit of built in on that. So I don't think anyone is saying that I'd rather have uh, – right now I would just rather have Goff. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. think people are saying that. So, so he's probably a little bit suppressed by having not played and um, – that just is what it is for the guys that are new in there. I I like to have them in there, and then we can, you know, if you read the story, you can read some of the comments, but I wouldn't dwell too much in exactly where he's at after only one year. Gotcha, gotcha. One last question for you. Um, Kind of a, speaking of fields and schemes and, you know, the Luke Getze influence, he's from that Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, you know, Kyle Shanahan tree that's kind of, it's all over the place. Now, um, I'm curious as you've traveled around and, and seen this kind of take off. Like, what do you make of it? Like, why does it seem to transcend quarterback? Why does it seem to go from city to city? Why does it seem to? Why is this so in vogue? And why do you think maybe it could work for Justin Fields? Well, in in general, I mean, I think the scheme does, and the people who run it do a good job of taking some of the pressure off of the quarterback. Right? I mean, there's a uh, depending now, it depends who the quarterback is. I think obviously the Rams shifted to much more of a drop back pass offense, maybe too much so. <laughs> They're initially Stafford, when they yeah. got Stafford, right? So there is some flexibility. I think when Kyle Shanahan had uh, 
Matt Ryan, you know, it looked a little different. But I, I, I do think there's a quarterback friendliness element to the um, to the blocking schemes, the run game, um, all of that that can take the pressure off. Even I mean, I think um, you know it's probably made it easier for Aaron Rodgers, even right. I mean, they they run the ball more and that type of thing. I think there are some questions now, depending on who the the quarterback is. But there's some questions with some of those schemes of like, is there enough of a drop back pass game, right? Like like uh, with the 49ers or with, yeah. uh, you know, Garoppolo and certainly with, uh, you know, Goff. I think some of that just comes down to the quarterback too, you know, what the guy thinks they can do. Certainly it's a successful scheme. So I would rather have that than someone trying to do a, a scheme that we don't have as much uh, faith in or that puts too much pressure on the quarterback. I felt like when Bruce Arians went to Tampa Bay, you know, it was all of a sudden it's this drop back pass offense that could almost bring out the worst in Jameis Winston, right? <laughs> it, it, it really... A lot of interceptions. <laughs> you're going to risk it and all of that. So, you know, I think in the end it does come down to the players. But, I, I mean, if you could pick a scheme that you were going to have for a younger quarterback, I mean, this would probably be one of them, right? <laughs> I mean, this might be the one you'd pick. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. I, I, I think the interesting thing, though, is the Bears can almost only exceed expectations this year, right? Because like we're talking about, everyone's got them down and no one, they didn't do anything this off season. I think they have a good chance to exceed. And I also think there's enough there with Justin Fields um, for him to make progress. That's tangible. If that happens, does Luke Getzey get the credit? And if he gets yeah. the credit, what happens? It's just sort of an interesting, it'd be a good problem to have. It's just sort of an interesting thing. I have no problem having a defensive coach. I think having a defensive culture is even fine because that ultimately that's going to help the quarterback too if they have a good defense. No you doubt almost, about it. But you almost have to convince Luke Getzey to, to stay on for one more year. Well, he. I'm just saying some of these yeah. guys got hired on the too soon side based on their experience, right? I mean, someone just saw them and they're like, you know what, Kevin O'Connell, we, we want him. Or, or Mike McDaniel, who's been around, but some, but some of these guys got the head coaching job without having seven years as an offensive coordinator the old way it used to be, right? So, yeah. you know, I think that's just something on our radar. It'd be a great problem to have, but, you know, I guess we'll – you don't want to test how smart Justin is at picking up all these new offenses, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, they have a development plan. What, what I would say is that the Bears learned that the hard way with Matt, with Matt Nagy, who I think who had a lot of good head coaching qualities, very charismatic. For the most part, uh, a lot of players found him endearing, but just in terms of maybe the organizational things, didn't have enough play calling experience, didn't really fit that CEO hat. You know what I'm talking about? Where he, it was still his offense, but it was also his team. You know, the Bears learned that the hard way. That's my biggest concern for this team. It's just so many people in prominent roles doing it for the first time. You know, at the very least, there's going to be a lot of room for growth for anybody, right? I mean, the first time head coach thing, when you've really been a defensive coach, it is a hard transition. You got to make it at some point. But, you know, Ryan Poles is obviously probably going to be doesn't even know what he doesn't know right now, right? I mean, in yep. two years, he's going to be like, oh, man, I learned so much like all these guys do. And that job transition is difficult because the job you do before does not prepare you uh, for, no. to, be, to be a GM. I think somewhat the coordinator jobs do more. You know, you're, you have to lead the defense or whatever. Um, and you have to have some feel for personnel and some of those things. But I think the leading the whole building thing, 
is uh, really difficult. Yeah. I would say early impressions. Luke Getze seems to have that head coaching feel, vibe to him. Yeah. Just the, the persona, the a little bit of a swagger. Yeah. To him. I, I think some of that success from college and, and from Green Bay. Uh, That's pretty cool then. Yeah. Permeates. Um, all right. Mike, thank you. So you're telling us to take the over on the Bears. That's what that's probably, what yeah. <laughs> you know, no, probably, probably so. I mean, I, I just, I'm not going to come into it with just complete negativity. You know, let, 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 it is what it is, and let's see if they can exceed it. Okay. Well, Mike, thank you as always. Um, if you're not following already, I don't know what's wrong with you, but at Sando NFL, um, check out his QB tiers. If you haven't already, I don't know what's wrong with you, but please check that out. Mike, Thank you as always. Hey, thanks. Have a great rest of the summer. Yeah, well, it's it's already over. I know. <laughs> okay, Johnsy. One of my immediate takeaways is a common theme, and you probably remember me saying this when I got back from the Super Bowl. What was that? Seven months ago, or whatever it is. The whatever you feel about how many games the Bears are going to win this year. There is more optimism about Justin Fields after his first season than there was about Mitch Trubisky after his yeah. first season. Yeah. I think a lot of that just goes back to what those evaluations were for those respective teams when they were coming out. There's more information. Like Teams had more information on Justin Fields. He played more football, started more games, won bigger games, played for a more prestigious program. Ohio State over North Carolina. And I think those you're always like I'm always reminded of how those draft evaluations like stick with teams two, three, four years into the league. Like that's their their go to information. Like those are their, their go to files when they start talking about free agency acquisitions or trades. They go back to their own draft grades, their own draft files on players. And I think this applies here. Yeah, I think so, too. So Sando's based in Seattle. It's got kind of the West Coast perspective. Jeff Howe's the next guy you talk to. Jeff is one of the newer national writers for The Athletic. He's based in Boston. Both of these guys made trips through Chicago slash Lake Forest during training camp. Um, I like how you did this. You got the West Coast. You got the East Coast. You got Pompeii, who's, I mean... Still technically Chicago, and he's sure spending a hell of a lot of time not down there. Flo- when he's yeah, not when he's not, I mean, he's, I don't know, he's kind of a Floridian now. Um, but I'm interested to hear Jeff's take because it's, it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's, he, he covered the Patriots for a really long time. For more than a decade. Yeah, and he's kind of still transitioning to this national stuff, but he's, you know, he's, he's somebody you want to pay attention to. So here he is, Jeff Howe, who uh, I believe was at Soldier Field on the uh, Family Fest. Family Fest day with the Roquan Smith trade day. Here he is. All right, let's bring in Jeff Howe. Now he's the new national writer for The Athletic. That's Jeff P. Howe on Twitter. Jeff, how's it going, man? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going through all the this national conversation with the Bears. I, I don't know if you know this, being a new national writer, but Bears fans, Bears readers, um, they hate you guys. <laughs> so <laughs> now that you're part of the the, the national media, uh, Bears fans want nothing to do with you, especially if you tend not to like their team. So I don't know where you stand. 
and all things Chicago Bears, but you came through Chicago. You were here at Soldier Field during training camp, but this time at Family Fest. How'd you like it? What'd you see? What type of vibe did you get coming through Chicago? Well, there's a lot of traffic, and that was <laughs> I couldn't get over that. And this is me coming from Boston, where the traffic is absolutely absurd. It's like apocalyptic out here. And uh, I felt like all I did for uh, – I think I was in traffic for like six of the 24 hours that I was in Chicago. But uh, in terms of like hating me, look, just give me a clean slate. You know, give me the time to like hate me organically. You know, don't don't cast this broad brush here. I don't hate anybody, so this is not a uh, this is not a, a two way street here. But I thought it was interesting. I mean, it was Roquan tr- uh, Smith trade request day, so it was pretty eventful. And Ryan Poles addressed that head on, which I thought was really interesting and, and certainly a, a commendable way to go about it. Uh, certainly have seen teams in the past when a major story like that sort of drops, they just try to sidestep it or pretend it didn't happen. And I thought polls did a good job of coming out and addressing that. And it was, uh, you know, in terms of the practice setting, I mean, I think we all know what, what family day is meant to be. It's just sort of a low or a casual sort of atmosphere. I think every team does something like this at this point, but it was a fun trip. Uh, I love, love Chicago. I've not been there nearly enough. And uh, it was, I, I wish I had more time there. Yeah, Chicago at this time of year is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, Mike Sando was on this podcast uh, before you. We talked about his QB tiers. Uh, last week, he came out with his NFC team rankings where he talked to five executives, and he asked them to rank them. The Bears, I think, let me confirm this. I want to be right. They were 14th, 14th out of 16 teams. I, I, I'm curious, is you start this new job. You go from city to city to city. You're traveling all around. You're making all sorts of phone calls. What type of buzz are you hearing about the Bears? Uh, not a lot. Uh, I mean, I think 14th is – that neighborhood is is probably pretty fair going into the season. Now, there's a caveat. People I've spoken to about Justin Fields really like him, like really, really like him. They think that he's still got astronomical potential, liked him going back to Ohio State. Granted, it was up and down last year, but there wasn't a whole lot of help around him. The system was was clearly in need of a massive, a massive makeover, and the roster uh, didn't give him a whole lot of help. I think you're still going to see some of that in terms of the roster. I mean, they're in the very early stages of a rebuild, and it's going to be hard for Fields to do a whole lot. I mean, there is some wiggle room. I think like you know the NFC is very top heavy. I think you've got probably four, maybe five quality teams. And then you're going to have like a race for those final two or three wildcard spots that is going to be wide open. I think there could be some surprising teams. You know, Carolina could be one that makes a push for. I don't think Chicago's there yet. I mean, it would have to come down to like two things are going to, it's going to have to be like a perfect storm of Eberflus's defense is going to have to be like tremendous, like absolutely tremendous. And Fields is going to have to be Superman. I mean, right now there's just, again, there's the, the feeling on Fields around the league is still high. It's just there's there's not there's just not enough around him. How would you rank the the teams in let's go the NFC North? Aaron Rodgers he lost his top receiver. There there's some talent issues there at receiver for for the Packers, but they're still the Packers. From your perspective, when you look at these rosters, I'm I'm figuring the Bears will be fourth. But how would you stack the other three teams? Yeah, I mean it's hard to knock off the Packers from that top spot. Adams is the departure of Adams is going to change a lot, no doubt. I think there's going to be some growing pains on offense, but their defense might actually be better this season than they were last year. I mean they have they have legitimate potential to be like a top three to five defense. 
the the Vikings are on their way up. I like their coaching staff. I like the front office. I like the way that they've kind of moved into a different direction, and they've had some more talent carrying over from recent years. So they're kind of a step ahead or, or several steps ahead of the Bears just in terms of having the veterans in place that is going to help them maybe make a push for one of those wild card spots. And then, you know, the, the feeling on Detroit is they're on the way up, but they were so far down that, like, up is kind of a, a relative term. So <laughs> on this podcast, we, we call them just you know the lions being the lions. You can't <laughs> underestimate that. That's what they do. They they just lines things things up. <laughs> Look, I, I covered the Patriots for twelve years, and uh, there was a similar feeling with the Jets uh, and and with them <laughs> being unable to really contend in the division. But it's you know I, I think the Lions are are doing some good things. I, I also wonder, like every year, there's this hard knocks hype. You know, when you get a look at this team, you start to get a little sentimental about them. So I think maybe there's there could be some people who are possibly inflating what they could do this year because of that. Now, again, I think the Lions and the Bears are, are pretty comparable at this point. I'm not ready to say one is going to be better than the other. I like the Bears quarterback situation better. The Lions probably have a little more talent around them. And of course, Dan Campbell being in place for the extra year allows him to have that system in place. So it's, uh, you know, they might be a step ahead, but uh, is it by more than a game? You know, I can't really say that. You mentioned the offensive system in Minnesota, Kevin O'Connell, obviously coming from that McVay-Shanahan tree, but the Bears have Luke Getze, who is from, who's, who's really? another extension of that. It's, it's traveling all over the place. Uh, what do you think of that style play? What do you think of that for, for Justin Fields? And why do you think it sort of maybe transcends City and quarterback? Yeah, that hire was really strong. Uh, that was that was a, a, a good job by Eberflus and, and Poles to make sure that, that Getsy Getsy got into Chicago. I mean, you need a good, innovative system. And if you can run it correctly, and you've seen the way that it can branch out. You saw Liam Cohen take it to Kentucky last year. Now he's back with the Rams because of O'Connell's departure. And you look at Zach Taylor, you know, LaFleur. This is, uh, you know, and you look at the Shanahan tree. I mean, there's, if you can kind of, if you can run that style effectively and you have the talented quarterback to do it, it's uh, that's that's where you need to be. I mean, look at the Patriots to an extent are trying to run something like that. Now, they've got some issues in, in terms of implementing it. But when you've got the guy from that tree and, and you trust him to do what he does, I mean, I think that's going to be beneficial to fields. It's just, you know, I wouldn't expect that to be an overnight thing. But a year from now, I think you, there's a very realistic possibility that they're a whole lot more optimistic about where that offense is trending. Yeah, absolutely. You you talked to Justin Fields' quarterback coach, the private one, right? Yeah. Uh, for a story a couple weeks ago. Maybe take us through that, what he told you, and what he kind of projects for, for Justin here in year two, just as a, as a quarterback, whether it's mechanics, forget the system a little bit, but just what he's doing personally to, to be better. Yeah, uh, Sean McAvoy, a really smart guy, good coach, has worked – uh, with Quincy Avery, you know, they've got Deshaun Watson, they've got Malik Willis, uh, a handful, Tyrod Taylor, they've got a handful of NFL guys. And, uh, you know, you've got Stroud coming out of there. So you've got Fields working with high-end quarterback talent down there in Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they travel around too. But when they when they brought him out of the season, it was, okay, they didn't have to worry really much about the health. Uh, he was in, in pretty good shape there. It was just... What were the mistakes that you were making? Why were you possibly rushing? 
Uh, was it, you know, lower leg mechanics? Was it arm mechanics? Whatever. You, you want to make sure that, you know, these off-platform throws that are so big, they've gotten so much bigger over the last three, four years, you know, that you don't break down, you know, from the bottom up because that can screw up a whole lot for a quarterback. That's when you start seeing the turnovers and stuff like that. Then it was, all right, why did you rush through this read? Or why did you lock on to this receiver saying, hey, you know what? You knew from the start this receiver wasn't going to get open, but you stayed on to him for two seconds or one second too long, and then you missed your second and third uh, reads because of that. So why did that happen? Let's try to speed up those looks. Let's try to trust what the offense is designed to do rather than just trying to trust a a receiver to break open when you know that he's not going to be able to do it based on the coverage. So it's, it's really just about trying to make sure the fundamentals are in place. And it wasn't like, all right, let's figure out what gets these offenses. Let's try to run a whole bunch of plays to simulate that. I mean, yeah, there's some element of that. But more than anything uh, with offseason quarterback coaches, specifically t- and definitely with fields, I mean, it's not always the same, but definitely with fields, it was just mechanical and making sure that the fundamentals are there. And when the pressure is on in game action – you know, the rush is bearing down, the line's breaking down or, or whatever, that you can resort to having good quality fundamentals to save a play. Why do you, why do you think things clicked for Mac Jones last year? I, I know you covered the Patriots for a, a long time. Mac Jones was the fifth quarterback taken last year. He goes to the Pro Bowl, he dances in the end zone, looks like he's having fun. Like, wh- wh- Why did that success come almost immediately for him, whereas the other guys in front of him had a lot of ups and downs? Well, great system. I mean, having Josh McDaniels is a, a victory right off the bat. I mean, look at what happened. Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Uh, look, this is <laughs> Urban Meyer's. For a lot of reasons that they don't work down there. <laughs> yeah. They're just, you know, he didn't get coached last year. And that's not me just throwing stuff against the wall. I mean, I was talking to people before Meyer was even fired last year. It was like, Trevor Lawrence doesn't look like he's been coached since he got to the NFL. And, and I've heard more along the lines of just how much respect that people in the NFL have for Doug Peterson and why Trevor Lawrence should now look more like the Uber prospect that we kind of thought he was supposed to be coming into the league. So when you are, when your coaching fails, you, you basically have no shot. Now that was a dramatic side of the, the failure level uh, at the coaching degree, I guess. Then you look at, you know, Zach Wilson, you know, younger, uh, he got some more experience. You know, he had to learn through some mistakes, had some injuries, stuff like that. Trey Lance didn't really play. Justin Fields, you know, again, it, it comes down to just the system. I mean, I think we all know why they they cleaned house after the season. You know, the system wasn't good. The talent, of course, didn't help him either. Matt Jones starts right off with Josh McDaniels, who, you know, just to one, you know, everybody. It's easy for everybody to say, "Oh, yeah, you know, you had Tom Brady for for so long. Of course, you're going to look like a smart guy." I always go back to 2016 when Brady was going into that four game suspension from Deflategate. They got Jimmy Garoppolo ready while Tom Brady was still taking on his quiet days a 50 percent of the uh, first team practice reps in, in training camp. So a limited workload with Garoppolo got him ready. He looked dynamite for six quarters. He goes down in the second game. They bring in Jacoby Brissett. I am not exaggerating when I say that Jacoby Brissett started week three with zero, zero first-team practice reps before that week uh, as a Patriot. He got nothing in training camp uh, as in terms of like working with the first team. Josh McDaniels was still able to put Joe, Jacoby Brissett out there, and he put together a, a unique game plan 
they were able to steal a win. And, you know, it didn't look as good in week four, but then you got Brady back in week five, and, you know, that guy kind of helps some things out. But this isn't just about, all right, you get, you had a coordinator who for a decade and a half had Tom Brady. He, he was able to maximize Mac Jones' strengths. And then that line got off to a slow start last year. I mean, they've had some situations where you know, Dante Skarnecki retired after 2019. They had Cole Popovich, and, uh, or he was coming in, and maybe it was whatever it was. Cole Popovich left. Then you had Carmen Brasillo last year so uh you know there was some some shuffling of the old line coaches but once that line kind of got into a groove they were dominant they had the dominant running game with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson so it got to a point I mean everybody saw it in that wind game in Buffalo when Mac Jones dropped back like three times and they beat the Bills on the road when you're that good at running the ball it's going to help your rookie quarterback a whole lot more and their defense for a good chunk of the season was pretty good too so it was just a perfect storm and that's why you know, kind of flipping it a little bit. Now you don't have Josh McDaniels. Yeah. McDaniels took three offensive assistants with him to Vegas. And now you've got Matt Patricia, who is going to be the expected play caller. He hasn't he hasn't focused on offense since 2005. So, you know, you've got a Patriots team that has always had that luxury of saying, hey, you, you got the system in place. Everything there is automatic. And now you're kind of questioning, all right, what are, what are the Patriots or what is this offense going to look like? for the first time in a long, long time. So, you know, when when people say, like, this this isn't a cliche when people say it starts from the top down. You know, sometimes that's with ownership. Sometimes it's with the front office. Sometimes it's with coaching. But when people above the personnel side of it, or the, the player side of it aren't working in conjunction, in conjunction with everybody, you know, things are going to fail on the field. It's a great point because I think a lot of people – they, they get excited about these players coming out, right? First-round quarterbacks. But the situations a lot of these guys are put into are, can, can be complete messes, especially because they're, they're picking that high. They don't, they don't have the, the best <laughs> direction, the best plan. Sometimes that, at least what we've seen here, the, the coach, the GM, and the quarterback, the three most important football people on your team are rarely aligned, rarely aligned. It's like you, you hire... Ryan Pace, he hires John Fox. You're stuck with Jay Cutler for a couple years. You draft Mitch Trubisky, then you fire John Fox, bring in Matt Nagy. You, you draft Justin Fields, and then you fire everybody again. Here yeah. comes Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. That, that, that type of continuity, like, like you look at what Kyle Shanahan's doing. Like, I guess here, here's my question for you, like with these second-year guys, like what are you looking for from a Trey Lance? What are you looking for from a Justin Fields? Because we're going to see them against each other in week one in Soldier Field. Yeah, so good time now to tease a story that I've got coming up on Wednesday, I believe. Uh, just <clears throat> I've been polling uh, people around the league and got somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 at the executive and, and coaching level. A number of questions, seven questions going into the season, season preview style stuff. And one of them is of the 2021 first round pick quarterbacks, who's going to have the best year too? And I'm not going to, you know, get all the way into that because it's some real uh, that was my favorite question because it got the best answers yeah but that was it was fascinating to hear the way people kind of view some of these guys and i kind of mentioned what what the perception of fields was but i can't wait to see what trevor lawrence looks like now that he's going to be coached by a grown-up i mean that's going to (laughs) be huge for him zach wilson you know he's got the knee injuries coming back he's going to have a delayed start to the season but he was getting into a groove. I, I spent a day or two days with the Jets. 
those guys, you know, I'm not saying the Jets are going to go win like six or seven or eight games or anything like that. But that's a team that is going to be exciting to watch because they're skilled players. I mean, those receivers may play after play after play in practice. So they're going to be fun to watch. And I think Zach Wilson's going to have a chance to kind of shine more than he did a season ago. And Trey Lance, I was extremely high on going into the draft. And you know, you, you just never know. Like, there's the caveat of like, yeah, you can you can love a quarterback like the 49ers do with Trey Lance, but you don't know what it's going to look like until you know you're you're playing game after game and defenses are adjusting to you. Now you have to game plan for them. How are how are you going to handle the stresses? You know, you get to the midseason later in the season when when things get tight. You, know, you don't know what a quarterback is going to look like. So I think there's like. Of course, I think the spotlight is on Trey Lance, especially in light of the Garoppolo deal, kind of keeping yep. him as the backup. But that's just like to protect your roster. You know, they, they're going to give Trey Lance every opportunity to go out and do what he does. And I think that his potential is is absolutely through the roof. So I can't wait to see what he looks like. With Justin Fields, you just want to see progress. Because I think still the talent around him, he doesn't have the receivers. You know, he doesn't have like a George Kittle or a Debo or – a Brandon Ayuk, who I think is a big breakout candidate type of player this year. But you, know, you want to see consistency. And if you see the consistency, and you're going to start to see those big home run plays, whether it's with the arm or the legs or whatever. And what can you do to build toward 2023? Well, maybe you start to get some more playmakers around him, and you think, hey, or, or you start to know you're a little more sure that, hey, you, you really do have something with him here. So I think – and you got to be patient because, again, I, I don't want to harp on Like I've said it a million times, I feel like there's just – I think there's only so much you can do uh, with the, the group around him. Now, I think, you know, Mooney it should be uh, a quality player for him. You know, I thought it was really interesting to hear that Fields was orchestrating these offseason workouts. Mooney went down to Atlanta and and threw with Fields for, I think it was three weeks. And then you yeah. have Fields Cole setting Komet up. went down there too, the tight end. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really good to hear. I mean, that shows leadership, shows commitment, and it shows that these guys are buying into the quarterback, which is a huge first – or not necessarily a first step. It's a huge early step. He's organizing the throwing sessions in the Chicago area. So, again, you know, just create that foundation and keep the consistency, put the uh, – you know, limit the turnovers, and uh, just continue to build. Last one for you. As you go from city to city to city, from camp to camp to camp, is there any team that you went into? That don't, don't don't even think about the Bears. Like any other team that you you went into, like oh, I don't know about this team, but you left like oh, they may have something here, or or like this player. I like what I heard here. Like they may have more talent than than we think right now. Is there any team that really caught your eye? Well, I would say. I'll start with two. I'll give you two only because I think the first one's cheating. Uh, the first one I'll give you is the Rams, uh, which is <laughs> I want to bring them up just because it was so fun watching them practice. And it's like they won the Super Bowl. Like I'm not like, you know, sitting yeah, here yeah. And like hey, watch out for this team in L.A. They're pretty good. Um, but the amount of talent on both sides of the ball, like there would be stretches like watching Aaron Donald practice for the first time was fascinating. He, it's just it was really fun to watch. I mean. I've gone back watching Tom Brady practice every day for like 12 years was really cool. Watching him battle in 2014 with Darrell Revis was like one of the most fun training, probably the most fun I've ever had at training camp. Just seeing Aaron Donald for a day, you know, seeing a guy dominate or be a bona fide Hall of Famer at his position, especially in, in the trenches and kind of do what he did was really cool to see. 
But like the defense would have these stretches when they would break up a couple passes or, you know, they get an interception or whatever, they'd start celebrating. Then all of a sudden you've got Stafford and he'll go deep to cup or to Allen Robinson or, or whatever. And they'd start making some, some plays. So just watching those teams go back and forth and compete with that high end talent. That was a really fun day uh, out with the Rams. And then another one, this might be cheating too, but like the, the, the Raiders. And I was just, I was really, I, I loved their offseason. I really like what Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels have the ability to build there. And I wrote something off it, so I won't you know, recite all 3,500 words or whatever that was. But I, I thought their plan, I thought they were both ready for this job. And I thought their plan this offseason was really intriguing. And, of course, they inherited a playoff team, so it's not like they're starting over or anything. But then I got to spend the time with both of them and – I learned the why behind everything. You know, why did you go after Devontae Adams? Why did you build the roster the way that you did or continue to evolve the roster the way you did? Why, Josh, after, you know, several years of saying that he had changed or he'd learned from the mistakes that he made in Denver, what have you implemented here? And it was just interesting because, again, like, in New England, he'd say, oh, I learned, I learned, I learned. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But then it was Vegas. It was like, all right, what was that stuff? Show what it. Are you yeah, now practice? show it. And it was like, one of the things that he said was, I'm telling everybody the why. Like, if we are, like, one thing is, it's hot as hell in Vegas. It's like, I couldn't, I was coming off of like a three-week heat wave in the, in you know, the Boston area. It was like 95 every day. I thought I was prepared for the heat in Vegas. It was like 94 in Vegas. I had like the Vegas writers laughing at me because I was downing <laughs> bottles of water because it was just so damn hot. And it was a cold day out there. But like McDaniels was like, all right, if you guys are practicing out in the sun or it's really, really hot, here's why. If you're practicing in the rain, here's why. If we're changing a drill in practice, here's why. If we're going about a meeting session a different way, Here's why. He's like, I don't have it in me to sit there and say, this is what we're doing. Shut up and go do it. So it was just like it was more collaborative. And he's he's much more open now than he was, you know, 12, 13 years ago to delegating responsibilities to the coaching staff. And it wasn't so much that he was like there was this narrative and there's some truth to it. But there was this narrative, especially coming out of Denver, that he tried to be Bill Belichick. And I asked him about that. And he, he really, like, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, but basically was he got to New England as a 23-year-old, you know, low-level coach. He coached there until he got the Broncos job as a 32-year-old. He then inherited, you know, not the GM duties, but he got some personnel power. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, you hear these things too, like you can prepare to be a head coach, but you never fully understand the challenges that you're going to have until you're sitting in that seat. So he would get to a point where, like, maybe he was stressed, and rather than delegating responsibilities, he would try to dive in and fix everything. And that rubbed people the wrong way. And he wasn't, you know, that's not what a head coach should be doing. So we kind of learned from all these things. So just kind of understanding their process. Uh, you know, they're in a loaded division. A couple things go wrong. All of a sudden, you've got a team that, you know, I think all four of those teams probably have the ability to contend for the Super Bowl, you got a couple of things go wrong. All of a sudden you're, you know, you're in third or fourth place in that division. You don't make the playoffs, but I think it's a really fascinating roster. And I like the way that they're building things. And I like the reason behind why they're kind of doing it all.
And they have a receiver that Bears fans are happy to see <laughs> gone for, I'm sure for, for, for twice and a year. And he looks he's looked dominant this offseason oh, yeah. this, oh, yeah. this summer too. I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. Um Jeff, thank you so much. Um we'll be sure to check out your piece on Wednesday. I'm sure you've got a lot of Bears fans interested in that right now. But uh thank you I so much. I just hope they don't hate me already. Ah uh, give them time. Give them time. <laughs> Actually, give them to Wednesday afternoon, then maybe. <laughs> Fair enough. Bought myself a few hours. Yes, that's all you got. Um, but thank you, Jeff. Take care, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, man. So one of the things that stood out to me about this interview, Johnsy, is that I, I, it's clear that Jeff doesn't think that the Bears have a enough talent around Justin Fields, which is pretty common sentiment. And it's hard to one the hard to completely debunk that, but didn't seem doom and gloom to me either. No, there's some optimism over Justin Fields. I, I seem to sense some pessimism over what Mac Jones could become in New England. Now that Josh McDaniels mm-hmm. is gone. Like that was one thing that I wrote down from that conversation live as, as it happened. Like, Oh, like what's going to happen to Mac Jones now that this, one of the best play callers, I think, of this modern era is, is now gone. Like, like who the heck is calling plays, first of all, for, for, for New England? I, he mentioned Matt, 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 uh, Matt Matricia, Pat Matricia, Pat, whoa. No. Matt Patricia. There you Got go. It. Although Pat Matricia might, might be a better option right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think the Detroit Lions are interested in him to replace Dan Campbell. Um, but it, it goes back to the Sandal conversation a little bit. There's some general optimism out there about what Justin Fields can become. Yeah, I, I and I I also liked that he gave polls credit because he just happened to be there on the right day where the Roquan Smith stuff was yeah, happening. Yeah. And he, like, he, that's the beat writer in Jeff, right? Like, oh, yeah. GM's coming up to address this issue as the star linebacker just issued. <laughs> but but <laughs> like as he pointed statement. out, as he pointed out, not a lot of GMs do that, right? They teams like to hide from this stuff, and Paul said, "No, I'm coming down there. I'm addressing this," and um, I think that that was that was handled pretty well. Uh, all right, Dan Pompey now, who has a little bit of a closer view on this whole situation, even though he is one of the national writers, so he has great perspective because he can kind of compare what he sees here to everything else he sees and the people he knows around the league, and then of course he also broke the Ted Phillips story late last week. So um, we'll dive into that a little bit too. But our guy, Dan Pompey. All right, let's bring in the great Dan Pompey. Dan's been on this podcast many times before. You know him. He just broke the Ted Phillips news. Dan, how's it going? It's going great, Adam. Appreciate being with you today. It's an exciting week and good to talk some football. Yeah, finally real football is here. So, so Dan, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is that Bears fans, Bears listeners, Bears uh, watchers on this YouTube channel, they're, they're upset with some national media criticism of the Bears. Uh, we just talked to Mike Sando. We talked to Jeff Howe, our friends from The Athletic. And we wanted to tie things in with you here at the end. You're a Chicago guy, a longtime Bears reporter, national media member. Where do you see reasons for optimism in the Bears? And where are your greatest areas of concern when you see this team? 
Well, I think reasons of optimism have to start with Justin Fields and reasons for concern have to start with Justin Fields. Uh, it's, it's the double-edged sword. You know, it just depends on how he develops and, uh, you know, how the pieces around him come together to highlight what he does best or, or maybe detract from what he does best. So, you know, uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about fields, but you really can't talk enough in terms of how much he means to what this team can accomplish this year. Um, I think, um, you know, other areas that I would say, you know, for optimism would be the, the young secondary. I think, um, you know, there's, there's some really good talent there. Obviously, a lot of it is unproven, but um, from what we've seen in camp and preseason uh, and even, you know, last year with, with Jalen Johnson, I think that's an area that, that should be pretty strong, uh, stronger than it's been in a while. Um, you know, I think, um, I think the pass rush might be better than I, I suspected it would be you know, uh, with the way that uh, uh, they can come off the edge. Um, areas of concern remain the offensive line to me, number one. Um, and I think, you know, the, the receivers after Darnell Mooney, uh, you know, who's going to step up there, who's going to be able to make big plays and who's going to be able to move the chains and just be consistent targets for fields. The, to stick with fields for a second, like just – you covered Kay McNown to, to Jay Cutler to a whole bunch of guys in there <laughs> in between. You, you saw Mitch Trubisky come and go. Now you have Justin Fields. Like, I don't want to say where he fit. Like, where do, you, where do you think he fits? But like, just the the anticipation for him or, or the excitement of him. Like, where do you think he fits in in a in a coverage sense? Like, how excited should you be? about Justin Fields, kind of based on your experiences covering these other guys who have come and gone with the Bears, guys who have come in with a lot of excitement but then failed? Yeah, you know, I think um, he is an unknown to me. And, uh, you know, when you compare him to Jay Cutler, for instance, from from the perspective that you're talking about, Cutler came in here with having had some NFL success. Uh, so there was, there was great anticipation uh, for him. I think with Fields, I have sensed from the public and maybe even the local media, you know, the, the greatest kind of uh, optimism or excitement, maybe a better word, uh, of any Bears quarterback acquisition since Jay Cutler. And, um, you know, that's, that's the parallel. But like I said, Cutler had played in Denver at the time and, uh, you know, had, had done some decent things. Um, Fields uh, obviously did decent things at Ohio State, but it's a different different story here in the NFL. Uh, last season was a mixed bag for him. Probably, uh, you know, not really fair to judge him on last season because a lot of things were uh, out of his control and didn't work in his favor. So uh, we'll see what he can do this year with um, for the Bears. Hopefully, you know, better offense, uh, and, and they hope to have better pieces around him. And you cover those lovey teams, the, the Super Bowl team, the all the takeaways, like the the peanut punch becoming this national thing. You know, Brian Urlacher becoming a Hall of Famer. So Matty Rufus comes in, and he's like an extension of that Lovey Smith system through Rod Marinelli with his hits philosophy. 
What do you think of that? And, and why do you think maybe like do you think it could still work for this team? And do you think maybe the Bears were still drawn to that because they've seen it work? Well, you know, I think it's certainly a good thing to emphasize. But the bottom line is this: you know, uh, the mentality is one thing, and then the ability to execute it is something else. And what remains to be seen is if the Bears have the ability to execute it. Um, you know, Peanut Tillman was a really special player. Uh, there aren't many players, you know, I've seen in, in the history of the game who could generate takeaways the way he did. Uh, so I don't know that it's fair to, to say, you know, Kyler Gordon or Jaquan Brisker is going to end up with, you know, uh, 10 interceptions or, or forced fumbles, whatever it may be. You know, I, I think um, you have to judge the player on, on what they've done and what they can do moving forward uh, is obviously, you know, based on based on their history. So we'll see, uh, you know, but with the mentality, I think the mentality is smart. It, it, it's good. Now, now let's see if they can do it. What do you remember about those teams when, when they had those players? With those abilities, the, the Lance Briggs, you had the leader of Owen Cruz on the other side of the on the other side of the ball. Like when you have the ability to meet that mentality, like what do you remember about the the vibes of those teams? Well, when it, everything was working right, here's what I, here's what I would say: they had it going at every level. You know, they had a great three technique in Tommy Harris. As a matter of fact, when when Tommy Harris got injured during the 2006 season and, you know, missed the Super Bowl, I thought that was a, a big reason why they really didn't, you know, play well against the Colts in that game and didn't have a chance to win the game. Um, they, they had edge rush with uh, Agunlier and Alex Brown, you know, uh, they had a, a stout presence with, with Tank Johnson. Uh, obviously they had a Hall of Fame middle linebacker, uh, who has done things that Roquan has, has yet to do in terms of making big plays, right? And now part of that was how the Bears used him and how the Bears have used Roquan so far maybe uh, different from how they're going to use him moving forward. So we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, they had Lance Briggs, who, you know, was Pro Bowl player for, for I think, what, seven years or something. Uh, and, and then – in the secondary, they they had not only Tillman who created a lot of turnovers, Nathan Vasher, you know, who was who was a great interceptor, uh, you know. So and Mike Brown, of course, you know, was was a really special blue guy. And like Tommy Harris, when he went out uh, in the Super Bowl season, you know, that really hurt that defense. So you know, I, I always I, I would wonder, you know, what would anything have been different if Tommy and Mike Brown, yeah had been healthy in that Super Bowl. I think <laughs> there's a lot of Bears fans who, who still wonder the same. <laughs> Two outstanding football players. Uh, like, What are your impressions of Matt Eberflus, getting to know him? What are your impressions of Ryan Poles? I mean, you did a good story on Ian Cunningham uh, before training camp. Like the, this staff, this front office staff, the coaching staff, Like, what type of vibe are you getting about them? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I, I've liked almost everything that Matt Eberflus has had to say. And uh, from, you know, getting to know him just a little bit, um, I, you know, I've, I've been really impressed with him personally. Uh, so, you know, I, I think he is relatable and that means something. I think the players will 
uh, buy in and have bought in to what he tells them. Uh, you know, uh, polls, I, I think, um, you know, harder for me to judge him because I, I don't know really, um, you know, it's he, he's made some moves that you could question, I would say, um, you know, but but he's also trying to kind of start from scratch and get rid of some of the, you know, the, the, the veteran players that were here that were taking up a lot of cap space and aren't going to be here in three or four years. So I get that part of it. Uh, but it, it's harder for, for me to judge him, even with Eberflus at this point, you know, it's all just talk. So really, you know, you don't judge anybody until there are results on the field. That, that's when the true judgment comes in. What have you heard maybe about the Bears? Speaking of like talk, like as, as you talk to your your friends around the league, your sources, I had asked Sando and uh, Jeff Howe about this, just in those league circles, like is the, I guess the national criticism deserved? Is it supposed to be? Is it that strong? Like are, are the concerns that widespread? Like what what is some of the buzz that you've been able to gather about what the Bears are kind of building towards here in 2022, but maybe even beyond? Are you talking about the roster itself? Yeah, the roster itself, yes. Yeah, I would say that, you know, there is a lot of skepticism about the Bears roster and, you know, what their ability is. This is talking with other people in the NFL, in front offices, coaches, that kind of thing. Um, I think, um, you know, they, they look at their roster and say kind of some of the same things that you and I have been saying that, you know, they really are dependent on Fields taking a big step up in the second season and kind of lifting the players around him. That's what they need in order to be a competitive team, a team that, uh, you know, can vie for a playoff spot. And whether or not Fields can do that remains to be seen. We have to ask you about Ted Phillips before we go here. Just, you broke the news, you spoke to Ted like his his legacy. Like, wh- what's the best way? I, I guess to verbally encapsulate it at this point. Now that he's going to step away after this season. Well, Adam, he's um, he's got an interesting legacy because um, you know if you look look at him as a business president, you would say he hit a grand slam because the Bears really thrived uh, during his twenty three year. Uh, presence as uh, a team president and CEO. Um, you know, they, they built a new stadium that George Hallis couldn't get built. Michael McCaskey couldn't get built. And it was, it was a complicated, difficult deal. Now, was it the best stadium that ever existed? No, it's not, but it was the best that they could do given the circumstances. So, you know, Ted deserves a lot of credit for that. Deserves a lot of credit for uh, the growth of the team, the organization, uh, you know, the, the renovations, two renovations of Hallis Hall. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good things that happened in his tenure from a business perspective. Then you look at the flip side of that is, you know, what happened during the foot from a football perspective. And, uh, you know, that wasn't as good. They didn't play 500 football. They only made the playoffs, I think, four times during his, his tenure. And, uh, you know, obviously he was, he's been criticized a lot because of that. Um, I think, you know, the, the uh, I think they made the playoffs six times, actually. But, you know, one of the things that he and I talked about was how one of the best things he did uh, was hire 
Jerry Angelo to be the general manager. And during that period, you know, that there was a 10 year stretch there when the bears were consistently competitive and they played above 500 and they did make the playoffs four times during the, the Angelo years. And, uh, you know, that, that was, that was the highlight. And obviously, uh, that was also the height of Ted's influence on, on the organization. Since that time, they've really struggled. There, there has been no consistency and, you know, they've, they've obviously, uh, you know, failed to, to do uh, the right thing at the quarterback position. And, and that really, that, that's been a, obviously a decades long yeah. issue with the yeah. Bears that has really come to uh, fruition in the last uh, 10 years or so. Well, you got the hiring of Jerry Angelo Wright. Like, I, I wouldn't forget about that. Like, I don't think Bears fans should, for, should forget about that. Like, Jerry Angelo was a good decision. Like, wasn't he the first, correct me if I'm wrong, like the first uh, football operations boss to carry the GM title since, um, because their previous, like, they had, like, directors of player personnel. Like, Jerry Angelo was their first GM in a long time, right, when he was hired by Ted Phillips? He was the first GM in 15 years since Jerry Venisi was That's fired. It, yes. And even, you know, he was he was more even Jerry Venisi wasn't the same kind of general manager that Jerry Angelo was because Jerry Venisi really wasn't uh, completely in charge of personnel. So really Jerry was the first true GM since Jim Finks was fired or or Jim Finks left, I should say. Uh, you know, after the 1983 draft. So, um, yeah, that, that was a big move. And obviously the Bears have retained that model ever since. Uh, but you're right, you know, uh, the uh, hiring of Jerry uh, was, was a really good move. And then it was followed by the hiring of Lovey, which was another really good move. And, uh, you know, there were, some, there were some really good player acquisitions during Jerry's time, including, you know, some of the guys we talked about, uh, Charles Tillman and, and – uh, Lance Briggs, obviously Devin Hester, probably is going to be a Hall of Famer really soon. I got my fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so that was that was kind of the golden era of the of the Ted Phillips years, and obviously that also coincided with the uh, opening of the new Soldier Field. Yeah, yeah. Then there's two renovations of, of House Hall, like a massive expansion of House Hall that came under his watch. Uh, uh, I gotta ask because I'm always curious about this. You, you covered the team since '85. Like the 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 argument that he meddles in football operations, I've always thought it's been overblown. Like they've always given their GMs autonomy. Maybe maybe he should tell his GMs not to trade for a Jay Cutler or trade up for Mitch Trubisky, but they've, he's been giving them autonomy to make the decisions that they want. Like what have, what have you always felt about that reputation that he meddles in, in football operations? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's been overblown, way overblown. Uh, I never saw Ted as a meddler. Um, I saw him as a guy who uh, gave his general managers the autonomy to do what they want to do. Uh, but I think the, what what he does, what he has done, is you know talk to them a lot about what they're doing and why they're doing it, and you know what good reasons for what they're doing, and maybe make them. Uh, think about something thoroughly or, uh, maybe even change their minds on something. If, you know, they, they can't come up with the, the right type of, uh, logic to explain why they're doing what they're doing. So, um, it, it's not like he's sitting there with his, with his hands 
you know, uh, tied and not involved at all. He's involved, but um, he's not preventing anyone from doing anything or, or uh, you know, insisting they do something his way. It all comes back to the quarterback position, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long story here in Chicago, right? <laughs> here we are talking about Justin Fields and what he could be. All right, Dan, I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, six and a half is is the line for wins for the Bears. I think it's gone up in some books uh, up to seven, based on what you you've seen from the Bears in camp, what you you, you feel about them, what you've heard. You taking the over or under on that? Uh, I got to go with the under. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bears fans. Um, I just think uh, you know if you compare them from a talent perspective to uh, the other teams around the league. Even the teams in the division, um, you know, they're they're in the lower portion of the league in talents. And uh, now, the things that could lift them are, you know, young players doing things they have not done before, especially Justin Fields. Uh, and I think, um, you know, good health obviously is always a big issue if they have that. Um, you know, they, they have, I will say this, their schedule is such that, you know, they can win some games now. I mean, it, it's there for them if things fall the right way. Um, but they're going to need some good luck and good breaks. And like I say, for, they're going to need for people to do things they haven't done before. Maybe that even extends to some uh, young veterans, some of the free agents they acquired uh, who, you know, they still have uh, belief that, that they, there's uh, untapped potential in. So we'll see where it all goes. Dan, thank you so much. Um, be sure to follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Pompey. Um, if you haven't read it already, please check out his story on Ted Phillips from Friday. Uh, he's the one who broke the news about Ted Phillips' retirement. Dan, thank you so much as always. Okay, my pleasure, Adam. Thank you. So, Johnsy, what did you take away from just this news that came out. It's something we've discussed. It's something that we've seen coming. The decision, even though it was apparently Ted's idea to kind of reroute the structure, the reporting structure of the GM. When that happened back in January, that was also another indication that his retirement was coming sooner rather than later. And now we get the announcement that it is this season. What do you, what do you think it all means? Well, it's been a long time coming, but let's not ignore the long list of things that Ted Phillips has to do that have nothing to do with football decisions with this team. Like he's been in charge of making this. Like what? What are they they worth now in Forbes? Like five billion dollars a year without having their own stadium a year. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Valuation. Can like I play Ted- devil's advocate on that though? Granted, the stadium revenue streams like had to be figured out and he did figure that out granted with not an ideal stadium that they're now trying to get out of as he calls that his greatest accomplishment um these values were going to go up anyway though like how much credit does he really get for that the bears were going to be worth billions of dollars in 2022 anyway he's still the president of the team and has been for 22 years you can't say he's done I can I can already hear the eye rolls. I can feel the eye rolls of, of people watching right now, listening. But he's been the president of the the football team 
the business Honestly, side for the, years. The thing I give him the most credit for is Hallis Hall and how far that's come since when he took over in 1999. Two big renovations. It is yeah. a phenomenal facility, facility now. That's that's what I actually think is his biggest accomplishment. Um, I do understand where he's coming from when he tells Dan that, this, that Soldier Field, because even if it's not ideal and they are trying to get out of it now, the context that Pompey did a really good job of putting all in that story was just the politics involved and how long that that took to just get some type of approval to to change something because the Bears were behind the times and losing money because they didn't have an actual stadium that could include all the advertisements and suites and all that stuff that creates revenue for your team. Um so it it was maybe the best of all the awful options out there at the time. But, you know, I, I honestly think what happened at House Hall over the years has been more impressive and something I am willing to give Ted Phillips a ton of credit for. Although with the caveat that a lot of that was Ryan Pace's vision, if we're being honest. Yes, yes. Well, yes, he kind of spearheaded that entire thing. But Ted hired him, and that's part of the... Lingering legacy, is it not? Like, I understand mm-hmm. the frustrations of having Ted Phillips as your chief sounding board for your football operations, which is how the, the, the Bears have operated for a long time up until this year. But at the end of the day, like, the GMs that he hired, they're still picking. Like, he trusts. I, I think what's at fault here is you still needed some checks and balances that he did afford his general manager's freedom to go after certain quarterbacks, and that's the the problematic position. He's mentioned this a couple times, and they just haven't gotten it right. Now, those are his decisions. Those he, he played a role in the decisions to hire some of those GMs, but they're supposed to be the Bears football guys, and they got the quarterback position continuously wrong, and I think that's part of his legacy as well. Right, and, and like and the things that I think bother Bears fans, it even bothers me to a certain extent, is like, when George McCaskey says he doesn't even see how like a quote unquote football guy could fix anything, you know, and Ted and George seem to be in agreement on that, how anything would have played out differently. I'd look back at the evaluation of the quarterbacks in 2017. We now know that that was a flawed process, that they were too zeroed in on one guy, that they didn't do all the exhaustive work that they could have done on the other guys. And to me, that's where checking in every once in a while with the team president who knows a little bit more about football, who can say, hey, what about this? What about doing this? Why don't you go back and look at this guy just one more time? Like, it's still your call at the end of the day, but just the checks and balances. I I think this applies to the draft decision of Key McNown to the trade decision to acquire Jay Cutler? Like, why were there so many looming questions about Jay Cutler and his background and, and his ability to take over a locker room? I think we saw that play out early on in his tenure. Yeah. Those are the voices. Those are checks and balances. You need someone to play devil's advocate for you sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Like you just did for me. You need that in the football operations. That's why we have you covered here on Hogan Johns. Because we keep each other in check. We do. You, you more so to me. 
because I need it more. Definitely. But yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, well, great work, my friend, as with the Justin Fields episode. This is very interesting stuff. I think uh, I think our listeners will hopefully maybe be able to take a deep breath and realize that not everybody hates the Bears. A lot of people still hate the Bears, though. <laughs> I was listening to uh, Bill Simmons and, and Cousin Sal do their uh, their um, you know their over unders for the season and their week one guess the lines and they're just shitting all over the Bears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like I've said before, I kind of get. I think like that's the difference between and why we bring on these guys for you today. Sando, Ohio, Pompeii, because they've done their homework a little bit more than, and 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 that's not even a criticism of the other guys. It's just, it, I don't know everything there's to know about the Atlanta Falcons right now. Although I know a little bit more about them because half the team's former Bears. Um, but like, I can't, I couldn't do an in depth breakdown of the Jacksonville Jaguars for you right now. You know, if they're in Jacksonville right now screaming about how, oh, you know, now we got better coaching, which they probably do in Doug Peterson, and now we got these weapons and all this stuff, and we put more around them, and nobody's giving us credit. Like, like okay, that's probably a valid argument. Like, I, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to know everything there is to know about all 32 teams. And as I've said, I understand why the Bears aren't high on people's lists right now to, to dive into. Yeah, I just think there's some general talking points about the Bears, at least from a national perspective, television, radio, podcast, what have you. They haven't changed. The Bears haven't made decisions to help them change. And the only way they're going to change is by playing real football games and seeing Justin Fields becoming a better quarterback. And that starts on Sunday. They go out and beat the 49ers Sunday and the whole thing. The narrative changes quickly. Very. Because that'll be the the people that fans are mad about for being so negative on the Bears. They just need to see their eyes on them. And even if the Bears lose but play well, make it a good game. By the way, all the uh, negativity towards the Bears, this is still the featured game in the noon window on Fox. Yeah. And there's some good matchups this well, week. Well, that's probably just because of Bears fans, because Bears fans will watch. And sure. A lot of them. But it is. I, I I like this matchup. I think it's very interesting with Trey Lance versus Justin say, yeah. Fields. Two young quarterbacks. Um, you know, you got the Robbie Gold angle. You got the fact that the offenses are very similar. The Bears are trying to be the 49ers, essentially. Um, and their quarterback, the Bears quarterback, might be more prepared for it than the 49ers quarterback. All right. Well, that is all to be discussed more in depth in Thursday's preview episode. It is good to finally be back with an actual football game to talk about. Um, Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode today. Make sure you follow us on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. All those things are good. It helps support the podcast. Please rate and review the podcast. And as I always say, most importantly, just go tell a friend. Go tell one of your Bears friends, hey, this is an episode you're going to want to check out. Go check out the Ryan Poles interview. Um, Nice job, Johnsy. Thanks, man. All right. I enjoyed it. We're back Thursday with our official 
preview episode for a real football game being played on Bermuda grass at Soldier Field. Tahoma 31. Hashtag Tahoma 31. We'll talk to you Thursday. See ya. Justin Fields.